how difficult it is to follow, for he goes where I don't want to go. And then to sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. How in the world do those two go together? How in the world can they not? If they don't go together, we're all sunk. I want to talk to you this morning, not about other betrayal. That is, an attack from the outside. That's what we talked about last week in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John. There are times when you are attacked from the outside where those who you assumed would be with you are not with you anymore. And so there's a sense of betrayal from the outside, but much more often the problem does not come from the outside, but from the inside. We betray ourselves. We sabotage our own happiness. We undercut the very thing we want. And we can see that when we look at the life of Peter. If you would uh, turn in your gospel or in your Bibles to uh, chapter 18. If you don't have your, your scriptures with you, the scripture is pointed, uh, uh, printed out in your newspaper. I want to tell you as you're turning there, as I studied this text, uh, there is no deep Greek textual phraseology that I need to um, exegete for you this morning. This is a very plain narrative. I wish it were tricky so that we could concentrate on the words instead of ourselves. But it's very plain and it's very common. It's a mirror in a tendency all of us have. And that is to get right up to the point where you could finally and effectively witness for Christ and then drop out. Read with me. So the Roman cohort and commander and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. That always tickles me. <laughs> that they could bound the Lord of the universe. I wonder if it tickled him. He could have called legions of angels, said so, but he let himself be bound and led him to Annas first. Annas was the uh, uh, kind of the, the high priest emeritus. Annas uh, was a very powerful man who held that office from the years, what we now know as the years as uh, year six to year 15. And then one son after another was high priest and now his son-in-law is the high priest. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And now Caiaphas was one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. How often it is that we just pronounce um, what, what we think are maybe political views or other kinds of views, and we have spoken greater truth than we could ever know. Before we understood what it really was, and that's what this is, expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Now here's the core. Simon Peter was following Jesus. <laughs> Not very close. And, was, and so was another disciple. Now that other disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter, watch this division, watch this distance. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the doorkeeper and brought in Peter. And the slave girl. Therefore, who kept the door, said to Peter, You're not also one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now let's stop right there before we go to verses 25 through 28. Let's stop right there and let's talk, let's talk about the setting for this. There are so many people who, who think this is about Peter's cowardice. I want to tell you, Peter wasn't a coward. You know that. 
a coward wouldn't have drawn his sword and taken on the whole Roman cohort. I mean, Peter was the one ready to go, cut off the, 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 the slave of the high priest's ear. And I don't think he was aiming for the ear. I think the, I think the adrenaline was pumping, so he just missed, cut off his ear. He was ready to take on all of Rome. Now, that doesn't sound like a coward to me, does it? Now, this is not about his cowardice. We, we can't relate this particular scripture just to the passage that has gone before. We can't even, it doesn't, it doesn't even mix with the passage that's gone before. No, this particular scripture is a result of one that has come up since a long interval of time. You can read about it in John 13, 37, even probably a more appropriate uh, scripture because it shows you the pride of this man, the, the anticipated self-sufficiency of Peter in uh, Matthew 26, verse 33. There was a time when Jesus predicted his death and, his, and, his, and the scattering of all of the disciples. And Peter said this, you know what? They can all leave, not me, not me. And as a matter of fact, he says exactly. And Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Haven't you had thoughts? Man, all these people are hypocrites. Not me. No, I'm going to stay with Christ no matter what. Step by step, here I am. And so there is this thought that comes to us that we really do have it within ourselves to be faithful. Till we start to fail. Till we start to fail. Now let's give Peter his proper due. At least Peter was there. Where were all the rest of the disciples? At least he was there. Some of you came in this morning being awful hard on yourself. At least you're here. Where's everybody else? I tell you where the world is. The world is discounting its failure. You know that old, what I call the theme song of hell. I think this is, regrets, I've had a few, <laughs> but then again, too few to mention, I did it my way. That's the theme song of hell. <laughs> People who do not take their failure seriously, they just say, ah, whatever, you know, I did it my way. And, and, and oh, it's a lonely, lonely eternity. But the people I want to talk to this morning are the people who feel their failure so seriously because they love Christ so much. And they want to know why they keep doing this again and again and again. Why this keeps coming back to them. Why this has such power over them. You see, your problem is not courage. Put in the right situation, every one of you would step up to the plate. Those of you who have children, if you saw some rabid dog charging toward those children, you wouldn't take off and run. If you could get your legs to move, you would step in between. Given the right situation, given a powerful enough enemy, given a, a, a hostile enough environment, you're going to come up to the plate and you're going to do what needs to be done. It's not about courage. It's about pride. It's about those subtle situations where you could probably say something and nobody will hear. There is no accountability. You've kind of gotten separated from, your, from your, your posse. And they'll never know that you turned your back. It's about those situations. 
It's about really believing that you have what you need inside of you rather than having to seek help from the outside. And so totally ignoring what is offered to you from the outside. When I was getting this uh, talk ready, I, 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 uh, I remembered a story I used to tell years ago. I haven't told it for years, but I love the story. And I don't even think I remember all the details, but let, let me give it a shot because it illustrates what I'm trying to say. True story, Wellington Koo, Dr. Wellington Koo, preeminent historian, um, Chinese-American person, but spent most of his life in China and, and was an was a expert on Sino-Soviet relations and, and uh, had ac- just unbelievable uh, genius intelligence. And, and so one time he came over to this country and he was traveling up uh, the eastern seaboard and there was a president of a uh, prestigious Ivy League school that heard that he was in town. I, that school will go unnamed uh, because of what I'm about to say. Um, and, and, and he went and begged this uh, uh, historian to come and just give an impromptu talk, just anything. And so Dr. Koo, being a very humble man, but, but being a steward, knowing that he wanted to share with however it would help, agreed to do that. And so they did in a, in a matter of a, a day or two, called an entire school assembly, arranged for a caterer to come in. They were going to have supper. Uh, and, 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 of course, the, the head table people went in beforehand, and, he, and, and they were going up there. And Dr. Koo, who was such a humble man, felt uncomfortable sitting above and in front of people. And so he turned to the president of the college, and he said, I, I'm sorry, do you mind if I would sit down on the floor with the students? I'd, I'd much rather sit down. Well, who was the president of the college to... To say anything, well, of course, if that's what you want. So Dr. Koo just goes down and he sits at a table. And they let all of the students in. Well, now you gotta, you gotta understand, this is an Ivy League school, very proud kids anyhow. And of course, in college, you know everything anyhow. And so it's just this, this, this arrogance and confidence coming into the room. And it just so happens that, that a, a, at a, a large group of a fraternity landed at this table. Very prestigious fraternity. And this, 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 the president of the fraternity just kind of looks at this little Chinese guy sitting at the table, wondering what the world he's doing there. And so he sits down beside him, and he kind of, they try to kind of ignore, the, you know, okay, he's at our table, but we can still talk. So they talk about what jobs they're going to get and what cars they have and what girlfriends they have and, you know, and so on and so forth. Finally, towards the end of the meal, he, he, he feels like he probably ought to condescend to say something to this little Chinese guy. So he turns to him and he says, likey soupy? <laughs> Dr. Koo just looked at him and smiled and nodded and went ahead eating. Not too long after that, the president of the university got up, went to the podium, and began this 20-minute introduction in which he, <clears throat> he named, specified all of the degrees, all of the qualifications, all of the, all of the uh, um, um, uh, awards that this man had gotten. And what a privilege it was to have him there to give them a lecture on Sino-Soviet relations. And, of course, the, the whole room began to applause. And to the horror of this table, the little Chinese guy gets up and just makes his way to the podium. <laughs> and there he delivered one of the most articulate and profound talks on the history of Sino-Soviet relations ever heard at that school. After which, and he did it in impeccable English, after which 
the entire auditorium erupted with a standing ovation. Dr. Ku, being too humble to listen to the applause, made his way back down to the table, but could not resist returning to his chair, turning to the president of the fraternity and asking, likey speechy? <laughs> Not our courage we got to watch out for, it's our pride. That's what will bring us down. You see, once you leave the arena, the safe arena of a spiritually nurturing group, and you enter into the arena of politics and power, it is not courage that's needed, it's sensitivity. I did an interview for the show, um, for the, uh, that uh, church distributed show, with uh, Senator Dan Webster this week. You'll see it in a couple of weeks if you watch the show. And, uh, and, and I asked him, he's, he's, a, he's a guy who went into politics because he couldn't get a building permit for his church because they didn't want, for his church school, because they didn't want that kind uh, multiplying in that area. And so he decided he'd run for office. And, uh, and I wanted to do, I want to do a, a certain section of the shows on, uh, on Christians in uh, public service. And so, so, he, he, of course, he, he won, and he's been a member of the House of Representatives for years and years, was Speaker of the House of Representatives for uh, several years, and now is a senator uh, for the state of Florida. So I, I was doing the interview, and I said, Senator Webster, what do Christians have to watch out for if they go into politics? And, and his, his singular answer was pride. And he said, you know what? It's not just the people who hold office. It's people with any kind of role. It's people with any kind of title. Because the very people you once wanted to serve are now the people that you're trying to disregard because you, you begin to think you know more than they do. Pride. That was exactly what happened with Peter. Peter began to be in this circle where the danger wasn't really coming from the outside. It was coming from the inside. You see, I want you to see the character of the enemy. The character of the enemy is not to put you in a situation that is so horrible it's going to bring out your heroism. The character of the enemy, the, the, in, in, in the third chapter of, of Genesis, it describes the enemy. It says, now the serpent was more subtle, more crafty, than any other creature that God had made. And so what he's going to try to do is get you in a situation where you can kind of step over and nobody notices. Nobody sees. Not even you. It's to, it's to, not rea it's to get you a situation where you're not rearranging your life, you're rearranging your words. When I was in school, I used to be invited to the principal's office with some regularity. I was really ornery, and, and I can remember the walks to the principal's office. They were very long walks. Even when it was right next door, it was a very long walk. And I can never remember asking myself, how can I make my life better? I can always remember asking myself, how do I word this? <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference. 
And so Peter was in a situation that was very inviting. Notice just even the, 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 the question, you're, you're not one of those disciples, are you? So easy for him to say, oh, oh no, no. And with that, he sabotages the very thing he'd lived his life for. With that, he cut short himself the very thing he wanted. Now, why do we do that? Because we do that same thing. You can be this close to what you want and back away. You can be this close. You can work for years and years or something and do something absolutely stupid and mess it all up. And then you say, why do I do that? And the answer is, there is enough sin left in us, even when we come to Christ, that there is a self-sabotaging element within us. Let me, let me give you a, a few metaphors here. First of all, there is a physical metaphor. In, in Romans 1.20, it says uh, that, that the attributes of God are known through creation, but also the differences of the attributes of God. Watch. Um, we have a biological um, 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 metaphor when we talk about the immune system that we are given to fight outside attack. When that immune system becomes hypersensitive, when it is activated, way overactivated to that which is not that much, as, much of a threat, it begins to attack the very body that it was given to protect. That's exactly what happens with allergies. That which is not that much of a threat to you is perceived as a giant threat. And so your body reacts and the allergy is, a, is a, an attack on your own body from an overreaction to a, to a very minimal threat, if any threat. That's what happens with autoimmune diseases. That is, sometimes you don't even need any threat from the outside. The body is somehow stimulated to think that it is being attacked from the inside. And so there is this attack and on, on, on your own tissues because it thinks there's a disease in there. That's what lupus is. That's what uh, rheumatoid arthritis is. That's what MS is. There's, there's somehow a stimulation of that immune system. And when it's not fighting something from the outside, it destroys that which it was given to protect. So even our bodies have a self-sabotaging possibility. Our minds also have a self-sabotaging possibility. One of the preeminent psychologists ever to live, in my opinion, was Carl Menninger. And years ago, Carl Menninger wrote a book, Man Against Himself. And the subject of that book was, now watch this, different forms of chronic suicide. What? Chronic suicide. Suicide that, again, that happens again and again and again and again. How can you have suicide that happens again? Well, there's not just one form of suicide where you're either successful or you're not. There are diffuse forms of suicide. Different ways we hurt ourselves. Different ways we punish ourselves. Different ways we decide to perform justice, our perceived justice on ourselves. And so there is a psychological metaphor also chronic suicide. 
There are historic metaphors, historical metaphors. There, most of you know the, 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 um, the reason that we got into the Spanish-American War was the sinking of the Maine. In 1898, we sent a ship down to the harbor in Havana to show Spain that we meant business. And that, that ship on, on February 5th, 1898 was sunk. And we went to war because of it. And we, our motto was, remember the Maine. Years later, that ship was exhumed and its inventory gone over. The cargo of that ship was ammunition. There were tons of gunpowder. There was tons of gunpowder on that ship. And when they saw the hull, the, the, the marks, the holes had metal bent outward, not inward. The ship had exploded from the inside, not the outside. Our lives so many more times than being brought down from anything that's on the outside is brought down from what's on the inside. And here is Peter, all alone, sabotaging the very thing he doesn't, saying the very thing he doesn't want to do. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, if you have your scriptures with you. It didn't just happen with Peter. It happened with Paul. Paul is the traditional author of this particular uh, book. And it says this. See if you can identify with this. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. How many of you fall in a particular way and you make a determination, I am never going to do it. That's just stupid. What a dumb way to live. I am never going to do that again. And the next thing you know, boom, did it again. Oh, I can't believe I did that again. I feel horrible. And so you fall, you feel guilty. Then what do you do? You make rules for yourself. You see, the law was given to us to help us. It was given to us so that we could have great relationships with each other and great relationships with God and have healthy and happy lives. But what happens is when we feel guilty, we start applying that law to make us more ashamed so that we will act better. I'll tell you what, I'll just try harder. And when we try harder, what happens? We break the law again. So we give ourselves more law. Maybe that'll make, maybe if I don't. And then there's this little voice say, sucker, are you going to live by law all your life? No, step over. Oh, I did it again. Look at what else happens. Not only do we do the very things we hate. Hey, look at, look at uh, uh, verse 19. What it says in verse 19. It says, for the very good that I wish I do not do. How many times do you say to yourself, you know, I really got to give her a call just to encourage her. Really want to, you know, maybe I could bake cookies. Maybe you even bake the cookies and eat them. <laughs> oh, I did the very thing I hate again. I not only didn't do the thing I want to do, I did the very thing I hate. Why do I do this? I'll tell you why. Because you're trying 
to win goodness on your own effort. Do you think that once you come to Christ and you understand that that blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, do you think you need that blood any less to cover your sins on the way to your goodness? It's not even your goodness. It's God's character. No, we need him even more then. If you came to Christ knowing that you couldn't be good enough to earn your way to heaven, why would you change your mind after you come to Christ? Why would you just keep trying to give yourself more rules and more effort and not just go from, and here's how you conquer it, go from Romans 7 to Romans 8. Read this with me. This is how you overcome self-betrayal. It's not by trying harder. It is by re realizing we're wretch. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Some people don't like to sing that. Man, I love to. Because that's me. I'm present. I'm here because I'm a wretch. The only difference between us and them is we admit we're sinners. We, re we recognize the problem. And we recognize it hadn't gone away. Still sinners. Yep. Saved by the grace of God. Still being saved by the grace of God. Need the grace of God every day. Haven't, been, haven't become perfect yet. And so it says, look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? We become so depressed when we fail. When you're, if you're depressed because you failed, believe it or not, that's a good sign. But if you stop there, you have not realized Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. Look at the first sentence in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What did he say? I just said I was a wretch. He said, I know. Died for you. Love you. I had, a, I had a, a, a holiness grandmother. This woman was a holiness Methodist. She was so holy that she wouldn't even wear short sleeves. She had, a, she had her little hanky tucked up on her long sleeve dress. She looked like this all the time. And when she would pass out if she saw hair on a man's, man's leg, I said, oh, <laughs> holy woman. And then she had to raise me. She used to look at me. This is the holiest woman I ever knew. Most uptight woman I ever knew. One of the angriest women I ever knew. She'd look at me and she said, Joey, you are sweet and ornery, son. I will always love you. She knew better than anybody who I was and loved me anyhow. Do you think God is any different? No more so. The cure for sin is grace. Not just the forgiveness of sin. The cure for sin. You want to read something powerful? Read through this chapter over and over again this week. You'll be a new person. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free. And it says this. If God is for us, Who's going to be against us? You can fail as many times as you want. God's still for you. 
You can fail as many times as you will. And God will still, listen to this, work it toward good for those who love him and call, are called according to his purpose. Even in our failure, God makes us fail forward. Even in our failure. And then it says this, look at this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Are you telling yourself how terrible you are? Stop that. That's not what God's saying about you. Why would you contradict God? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Some, are they? It's null and void. You, null and void. Look at what it says. God is the one who justifies. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, nor things past, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. You don't have to try to be better. You really don't. You just keep looking to the one who is gracious, who has laid out a wonderful plan for your life, and bit by bit, it will sink in. You know what? I don't have to punish myself. I don't have to do these terrible things to myself. Because justice has already been satisfied. And I have been redeemed. And I can live like someone who is worth everything in the world. Because to God, I'm worth everything in the world. Pray with me. God, what you did on the cross showed us that we were as important to you as your own son. No, more important than the security of your own son. God, help us to realize that again and again as we look to you again and again and live not in our power, but in yours. Thanking you every day for the grace. Thanking you every day for for your acceptance and living according to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.